Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today I'm going to cover Rembrandt is in the Wind by Russ Ramsey, learning to love art through the eyes of faith. This was book nine for my 2022 reading list. Well, in the year 2004, I went on a family trip to Italy. And as part of that trip, we had a few days in Florence to explore, to explore the great art museums that are in Florence. And I remember vividly walking into to one of them. And, and as you're walking in, they're handing you this brochure. And right on the front of it is, is the main attraction for this, this gallery. And, and so you know, you're walking in and you know what you're about to see. And in this case, I knew I was about to see Michelangelo's statue of David. And so I'm walking into this building and, and you, you kind of go down this, this hallway and it's just crowded the day that, that we're there. It's, it's, it's in the summer and so it's just packed and it's, it's hard to see it. Uh, you're, you're walking down this hall. It's at the end of the, the hallway. You know it's there, but it's kind of hard to see it with all the people. And, and I, I, I remember getting to a point in the room where I looked up and I, I lost my breath like seeing that that work of art actually took my breath away and that is that has only happened a handful of times in my life i mean i i, I and i i know it three times and i i know exactly each of the three times what i saw and and when my breath was took taken away and that was one of the times and it, it was it was I, I how do you how do you account for that like how can you seeing a work of art how can that take your breath away? How can that have such an impact on your physical being that you lose your breath? That's a question I've carried with me for, for a long time. And it's, it's a question that Russ digs into in this book, Rembrandt is in the Wind. So just to, to back up for a second, this book, it's a, it's a dive uh, into nine different artists. And that encompasses chapters two through 10. So each of those chapters digs into an artist and a particular work of art that they have done and how they did it. So the tools that they use, the, the tools of the trade, uh, the story of the life of that artist and the subject matter. So if the subject matter was a story, like for the statue of David, you go into that story and then you see, okay, why did Michelangelo sculpt David at this part of the story, because most of the time you see David hovering over Goliath, who is uh, and, and he's removing his head, and it's it, it's it's the point in which he has conquered the uh, uh, little David has conquered mighty Goliath, and that's how that's how most of the time you see that work of art. But but Mike, Michelangelo chose a period before the actual fight, and it's David. He's got his sling over his, his shoulder and, and the fight is about to occur. So why, why did he do it before the fight? And so just kind of asking these questions about the art, uh, about the artist, it's, it's that kind of a dive into, into these nine different artists and the art that they created. But chapter one is, is how, how did we get here in the first place? Uh, how can a work of art take my breath away when I see it? Uh, and, and Russ goes in, in, in that chapter, in that first chapter, uh, that 
he says we were made for three things. We were made for goodness, truth, and beauty. And the interesting thing that he points out about those three, three things, goodness, truth, and beauty, is that they never expire. We, we never get tired of those things. And it, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Like, you, you can never get tired of beauty. It's, it's something that it just, it just doesn't stop. Like you, you can keep looking and seeking after beauty and never be quenched. You can see, keep seeking after truth and you can keep seeking after goodness. And those things will never, you'll never get to the end of that well. And I, I thought that was just such a beautiful insight. But this, this book really high, uh, digs in deep on, 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 on those three things, but, but in particular on on beauty. So Russ's goal here is to curate beauty, but it's not just to curate the art, but to curate the, the lives of these men and women that created the art, to dig in deep to their journeys of faith. And as the subtitle of the book also says, uh, learning to love art through the eyes of faith. So I, I really enjoyed this book. This is actually the fifth book that I've read by Russ. And I have been fascinated with art since the early 2000s. And I, I've sought out many of the artists that were highlighted in this book. So it was just a joy to get to know these artists on a deeper level. And then Russ also addressed a lot of the questions that I've had and, I've, and things that I've pondered over the years. Uh, for instance, like, why did my breath get taken away when I saw Michelangelo's David? Um, and, and I'll address some of those other questions that I've, that I've had over the years later in this episode. That's the great thing about this book, though. It, it addresses these questions, but it, it addresses art. But you don't have to be an art expert to appreciate this book. And in fact, you don't have to know anything about art to appreciate this book. Because Russ writes it in such a, an approachable way and, and just provides a great introduction to the works of art that you know. Like Michelangelo's David, you've seen that. You, you know that. Uh, Van Gogh. Rembrandt, Caravaggio, you know these artists and you've seen their work, but to understand the story behind it, it is so, is so fun. So I, I, uh, I recommend this book and, and I think no matter where you are in your, your journey of appreciating art, I think you'll find things to, to appreciate. As for reading stats for this book, it took me five hours and 28 minutes. It is a 272 page book. So that it, Took me six hour, uh, six days of reading, uh, in that I did the five hours, five and a half hours of reading within those six days. Is uh, so that equaled forty five pages per day. I, I like to highlight that just to, um, just so you know how, how how long it might take you to to read the book, and and then uh, it it also helps me know how much I enjoyed the book uh, to see how many pages per day. And if it's on the high level, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and and this was a book that that I really enjoyed. Uh, I did, however, read it on a digital device, which if you've listened to any of my other episodes, you know that that I, I broke protocol. I broke a rule. One of my rules is I always read the physical copy of a book, but this book is not out yet. And so I read it in advanced copy and Russ is my pastor. So I, uh, I was part of the launch team 
for this book and and just got a, a early digital version of it, but I cannot wait to get the physical version. It's very hard for me to read digital versions. I just do not enjoy the experience at all, but I did enjoy the book. And so I can't wait to get that physical copy. I'm going to mark mark it all up with the uh, the things I underlined in the Kindle version and uh, and 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 yeah, it, it comes out March 22nd. Uh, I also want you to buy the book. And and as you know from, from other episodes, I work at Landmark Booksellers. I'm the business manager there. And so with all these episodes, I'm going to start uh, linking to Landmark to where you can buy this book. So I'd love if you support the the local bookstore here in Franklin, Tennessee, Landmark, and that'll, that'll also support this, this project. So I'll have a link in the show notes. You can pre-order the book at this point. And if you use the code Books of Titans and the coupon code, you'll get 10% off. So pre-order it. I'm also going to try to have a special surprise uh, if you do order it. So um, so yeah, order it from, from, uh, from, from the link in the show notes, and that would be greatly appreciated. So now for the rest of this, this episode, I've got two more segments. In the next, seg- uh, in the next segment, I'm going to highlight four things that, that stuck out in this book. And then my final segment, segment three, I always end it with the one thing, my one key takeaway from Rembrandt is in the Wind by Russ Ramsey. Well, that trip to Italy had a profound impact on my life and in my pursuit of art. After that trip, I moved to Midtown Atlanta, and I lived close enough to the High Museum of Art there that I could walk there. And so I got a membership, and on the weekends, I, w- I would go early, went right when it opened on Saturday mornings. And the way the museum was set up is that the permanent collections were on floors one and two, but on th- on floor three, that would be where the exhibits would be. And the exhibits were traveling exhibits, so uh, it'd be works of art from different museums, and they would be be brought to the High Museum of Art. And so uh, w- one of the first years that I was in Midtown Atlanta, I uh, the, the exhibit was Van Gogh. And they had paint, I mean, they they had an incredible selection of Van Gogh paintings. And so I would get there right at 10 a.m. And everyone else would work their way up from floor one to floor two, and then go to floor three. And I had seen the permanent uh, exhibit. And so I would just go right to right to the the third floor. And so when the Van Gogh exhibit was there, I'd be up there by myself, uh, you know, with with the guards and all that, but by myself in terms of patrons for like 10 to 15 minutes. And I would just stand in front of these Van Gogh paintings and just be enthralled. And I remember vividly one painting that they had, and that was the Olive Tree Grove. And the story behind that painting is that Van Gogh's friend, Paul Gauguin, had had just painted uh, a work of art that was a depiction of Christ, but Gauguin painted himself as Christ. And Van Gogh hated that painting, and he said, I can paint Christ better by painting olive trees. And so this is the work of art. This is your, your chance to, to make that decision to determine if Van Gogh captured Christ better than his friend Gauguin did by painting olive trees instead of by painting Christ. And that, that started a fascination with Van Gogh and, and also a very uncomfortable question for me. And it's a question that's also addressed in this book by Russ. How do you reconcile the life with the art? How could something so profound, 
so sacred come from someone, for lack of a better term, so profane? You see this question come up with Caravaggio as well in, in, in this book, Rembrandt is in the Wind. He, while he's picking fights with people and even killing people, he's painting with what Russ calls some of the most profoundly merciful and eloquent commentaries on scripture, end quote. So Russ does not shy away from these questions, and I found his answers and his treatment of those questions very compelling. Uh, another book that treats Van Gogh very well in, in terms of these questions uh, was the book by Madeleine L'Engle, Walking on Water. But just that question of, of how, can, how can... So Van Gogh, he, he cut off his ear, he gave it to a prostitute. He shot himself in the stomach, or, or that's, that's uh, what is believed to have, hap- have happened. So he, com- he committed suicide. He was in an insane asylum. Like, how, how does someone like that, how do they create such sacred and beautiful works of art. And so I I loved that Russ dug into those questions and dug into it with different of the artists in this book. Second thing that stuck out to me was, was this idea of adding paintings to your personal collection. So when a work of artist touched your soul, and, and let me just take a quick break from this idea to share some beautiful things that Russ wrote about art in the soul. So here's one. This is the mysterious transcendent quality of art. Something in the liniment oil and pigment breaks through the plane of the canvas and penetrates the human soul in a way that suddenly and inexplicably matters. End quote. And here's a second one. This is the intangibility of genius. To create work that transfers from the canvas, the page, or the instrument into the heart of another person, arousing a longing for beauty and an end to sadness. End quote. So now back to that idea of adding p- paintings to your personal collection, the, pa- the paintings that have touched your soul. If touch, if, if, if some, uh, Russ encourages you that if something has touched your soul, make it yours. Add it to your mind's eye, to your personal collection, uh, be it songs, books, or other works of art. And, and I loved that idea. This idea that, that you see a work of art in a museum, maybe you've stood in front of it for half an hour and just stared at it and, and, it, and it compelled you. It, it, it reached your soul. It, it, it grabbed you. Add it to your collection. And this collection obviously is not a physical collection unless you're uh, an art thief and not a good career path. But in your mind's eye, in, in your mind, start collecting works of art that have touched your soul and add it to your personal collection in your mind. I I thought that was just such a cool idea. And, um, and I want to start doing that. Third idea. Uh, the title of the book Rembrandt is in the wind. So 75% of stolen art is unaccounted for. And, And what they say about that unaccounted for art is that it is in the wind it will likely never be found again. And the chapter about Rembrandt in this book is about his painting that was stolen from the museum in Boston. And it's so weird to read that chapter. And and I've heard Russ talk about it. Uh, It's weird because you, you feel this tremendous sense of loss while you're reading it. The work of art in this case, was stolen. It was it was actually cut out of the frame. They the the museum has kept the frame up, and there are there are 
parts of the painting that it, it was just roughly cut out. And so there were like jagged parts of the painting that were still there after it was cut out. And, and Russ has this, he, he puts this quote that, that someone said about this. And, and this person said that this was an unholy tragedy, a monstrous corruption of beauty. End quote. And and you just get that sense when you're reading that, that that this work of art was stolen, and Russ tells you all about this beautiful work of art, and it's gone, and it's just devastating to read about. And and but it's interesting the 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 feelings that you have when when you're reading about that. It's 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 a canvas. It's it's a painting, but. It's so much more than that. And in the devastation of, of reading about what happened to this lost work treated by, by a thief, it's, it's just tragic. But Russ does such a great job of, of talking about it. And, and in this particular painting, Rembrandt has painted himself and he's painted himself to look at you. So if you're looking at this painting, Rembrandt is staring at you. And so Rush just even brings up the question, did the thief see that? Did the thief, was the thief confronted with Rembrandt as he was cutting that out of the frame? And it's just such a devastating, but beautiful in a way, uh, chapter as well. The last thing that stuck out to me was the chapter about Vermeer and how he did his paintings, his, his method of painting. I had no idea, and, and it was I'm, I'm still, I'm just completely flabbergasted on how he made his paintings. And I don't want to give it away here because I want you to read this book and I want you to find out how he did his paintings. But it is, it's incredible. And I had never heard that before. And so again, one of these just cool things that, that I'll be able to, to know going forward now. And, and perhaps I'll be in a museum and, and there'll be a Vermeer there. And, and I'll know something about how he did that. And, and to me, that is... That's one of the greatest things is when people can point out things like that to you. They can curate beauty for you. And so those are some four, four things that really stuck out to me in this book. And then the next segment, I'll cover the one thing. Well, something clicked for me when I read this book, and it came in the chapter on Brazil. And here's a, here's a, a quote. Uh, Delacroix discovered that one could paint a horse with fine detail and precise proportion and show the viewer a realistic representation of the animal. Or he could paint with fluid, dynamic, unrestrained brushstrokes and give the viewer the impression of a horse in the wild, coiled in fear. The impression of the horse seemed more alive, a truer horse than the realistic portrait. End quote. So you, you've got a comparison between two types of, of painting here. One is one with, with fine detail and precise proportion, and it's, it's almost like a photograph. And that is one way that you can paint a horse. Another way is what we now understand as and call impressionism painting, and that is unrestrained brushstrokes, and it gives the viewer the impression of the horse. And it's the impression the artist had when they were viewing that horse. And I love the end of this quote because it says, The impression of the horse seemed more alive, a truer horse, than the realistic portrait. Well, the thing that immediately came to mind when I read this 
was one of the first books I read for this project. It was actually book 12 in the year 2017. And the book is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. I think about this book all the time. And what, what's interesting is at, Land, at Landmark Booksellers, where, where I'm business manager, we've been selling this book a lot lately. And I, I'm not sure why it's it's come back or why a lot of people are buying it. But um, but it, people have been buying this one lately. And there there is a two-page chapter in the book that starts on page 179. And it's about story truth and happening truth. And if you've listened to this other episodes of this podcast, you've heard me talk about this. It's something I've talked about quite often, and, and it's something I think about all the time. And so I want to tie it in with that quote I just read about Delacroix. And he, here's, here's the part in The Things They Carried. But listen, even that story is made up. I want you to feel what I felt. I want you to know why story truth is truer sometimes than happening truth. Here is the happening truth. I was once a soldier. There were many bodies, real bodies with real faces. But I was young then, and I was afraid to look. And now 20 years later, I'm left with faceless responsibility and faceless grief. Here is the story truth. He was a slim, dead, almost dainty young man of about 20. He lay in the center of a red clay trail near the village of Maikee. His jaw was in his throat. His one eye was shut, the other eye was a star-shaped hole. I killed him. What stories can do, I guess, is make things present. I can look at things I never looked at. I can attach faces to grief and love and pity in God. I can be brave. I can make myself feel again. Daddy, tell the truth, Kathleen can say. Did you ever kill anybody? And I can say honestly, of course not. Or I can say honestly, yes. End quote. I love that distinction. There's happening truth and there's story truth. And, and Tim O'Brien here says, story truth is truer sometimes than happening truth. Same thing that's in that quote there. The impression of the horse seemed more alive, a truer horse than the realistic portrait. This is just something that is, has fascinated me since reading Tim O'Brien's book. And I finally connected it to the world of art in, in seeing the quote in this book. So there's different ways of presenting truth. There's different ways of presenting what happened. There's happening truth, there's story truth. There's a precise depiction of a, a horse, or there is the impression of the horse. And it would seem like the, the fine detail and the per precise proportion would be the truer version, because it, it looks like it. That's what, that's what we see. But the impression of the horse can seem more alive or can be, in, can be a truer horse than the realistic portrait. And, and I, I love that, especially with reading books and, and, and thinking about how is the author presenting the, the material? How is, how is the author presenting the story? There are different ways to tell it. And some, some ways can be more true than others. Now I have that lens of which to view art as well. Why did the artist portray something in this manner? And did that allow the artist to paint a truer method or a truer portrait, a truer proportion than if they had done it a different way? 
just a cool way to think about art, a way, a way to think about portraying truth. And, and I loved that. I, I loved that the, the connection came, came there. So this book helped me to see a lot of things in a different way, um, especially in the area of, of curating be- beauty, uh, different ways of sharing art, proclaiming truth. And Russ closes out the book with, with an appendix on how to visit a museum. And that had some just really good advice on, on, on ways to approach it. Um, if you've never been to a museum or you, you think they're boring, uh, this just had some really practical advice on, on how to enjoy your time there. Russ is a storyteller, and, and these collections were wonderful in how he wove together different aspects. So he wove together the art, he wove together the artist, and he wove together the art making. And they are all connected, and understanding each part is crucial to understanding the art that is in front of you. The limitations of Michelangelo's marble slab, or understanding Caravaggio's suffering and torture that he experienced, and how that showed up in his paintings. Or how Edward Hopper captured the inward thoughts of a person through his art. These are just some of the things that Russ goes into and, and weaves together. As a result of, of reading that first chapter, I actually changed the subtitle of this reading project. And so right, right now, my my tagline, you heard it at the beginning of this episode, is to seek truth in the world's best books. Well, later this year, I'm going to start reading through the great books. And so I've already changed it to seeking truth in the great books. But I added something after reading the first chapter of this book. And this will be my my tagline for the project, my, my purpose in the project uh, going forward. And I, I added the word beauty. So instead of just seeking truth, I am going to be seeking truth and beauty in the great books. So thank you, Russ. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Uh, I would love to hear, uh, if you if you end up getting this book, I would love to hear what you think about it and things that stuck out to you, things that perhaps I missed in the episode and and, and that that really captured captured you when you read it. I'll be back in a couple weeks talking about another book in this year's reading project. I do have an episode I want to highlight that is is coming up. Uh, I'm probably most excited about this episode out of any that I've ever done. And I'm reading the book right now. I'm reading the Figaro trilogy. And and then I'm going to do a deep dive into the Marriage of Figaro opera. So I've listened to this opera my entire life. It's the opera by Mozart. And I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what... I, I kind of know the basics of the storyline, but I, I don't know... I don't know the full story of the opera. I've seen the opera performed. I have listened to it countless times and I have no idea what's happening. And so I'm going to remedy that. I'm going to, I'm going to find out what was in the original play written by, by, uh, uh, Marquet, And then I'm going to read the libretto by De Ponte, De, De Ponte, I guess you would pronounce it. And, and then I'm going to listen to the music as I go through the score of the opera. And then I'm going to record a podcast episode where I just do a deep dive. So it's going to be a long episode, but I'm going to go through the story first so that we understand what's happening. I'm going to go through the libretto. So to see what, what was left out of, of what is in the, what is, 
shared in the in the opera, and then I'm going to share different pieces of the opera in the episode and just kind of describe what's going on, uh, what how Mozart's using music to portray different emotions or action that's happening. And I can't wait for this. It's going to be so fun. And I can't wait to find out what actually happened in this opera that I've spent so much of my, of my life listening to. So check that out. That'll be coming soon as well. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.